Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark Sheeran and I will be talking today. What we're going to talk about is depression. A lot of people have been calling us and I've been talking to a lot of uh, students recently about depression being their number one reason that they use or drink heavily. Um, We wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap and the Freedom Model for the Family to help people to learn how they can overcome addiction and move on with their lives. We offer an incredible opportunity to work with us directly in private one-on-one classes. You can learn more about our retreat and our private instruction program that you can do at home at thefreedommodel.org. All right, Mark, start us off talking about depression. Well, it's it's what you said. Um, we've had a lot of uh, people in class lately, uh, and and this has always been the case. I sure. think I think that um, they talk about depression in in certain ways. One way they talk about depression is is the chicken and egg scenario. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is is addiction caused by depression, or uh, does depression cause addiction? And I'm going to propose and show you that it's neither. Um, there is no cause of addiction except for our preference for being high for reasons. Now, um, so you're not caused by depression to get high and, and addiction doesn't cause depression. It doesn't work that way. There are reasons. You can be depressed and that might be a reason using your reasoning powers to say alcohol or drugs will um, help me get through this addiction or through this depression. Um, it'll help relieve the depression. So um, it's, it's, it's something that we think about and there's no causal relationship. In other words, if we're depressed, we don't automatically get drunk and high. That is a myth. So let's get away from this idea of cause and let's talk about it as a reason. So I just want to start off with that, that there's no cause of addiction, there's no cause of depression except for our ability to think about things in a certain way that makes us think depressing ways. Um, So we have reasons for use and uh, our depression might be a reason that we use. We might say to ourselves, boy, I'm depressed today and I'd like to drink because it'll relieve that. But does it? That's the question. Does it actually relieve the depression? Um, And the answer to that is, is no. It, it usually just kicks the can down the road and, uh, and, and the person has the problem anyway. Um, and uh, what are you looking up, Michelle? I am looking up the numbers. Um, okay, here they are. This is some evidence to consider. I think it's in Chapter 6 of our book. Um, where we talk about, and I, a lot of people don't take it face value when we say that just because you're depressed, the depression, depression doesn't cause heavy substance use. Um, but here's, here's some numbers to consider. Uh, according to the latest statistics available from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration, which we call SAMHSA, 43.4 million American adults have mental illness. Of that group, 8.1 million also have substance use disorder. That means only one out of five people with a mental illness also has a substance use problem, and that does include depression. That's only 18.6% of people with some kind of mental illness, which the most common is 
major depressive disorder. Um, Whereas the other four out of five don't respond to mental illness by using substances heavily. And that's from the Center for Behavioral Health Statistics and Quality 2016. Um, So so that should show you right there if only one in five people um, that have depression, anxiety, or other mental health problems um, also have heavy substance use problems. Um, and, and the converse of that is true too. I mean, although nowadays a lot of people diagnosed with addiction are now being dual diagnosed. Um, but I got to tell you, for me, the definition of what makes depression, depression is a feeling of hopelessness. Yeah. Right. You feel like you can't make things better. So you're struggling with heavy substance use. You go to treatment, you go to a counselor, you go to an AA meeting, and you're told that you're powerless and you will be forever. Yeah. So, and then, so then all of a sudden you have depression because you feel hopeless. Yeah. So, um, and, and real, like, clinical depression is these, you're investing in these feelings of hopelessness. Well, let's, let's jump into that. So there's this idea when you say clinical depression that people think that there's some test that can be found right. in brain tissue that shows that your dopamine and serotonin levels are off, that there's a chemical imbalance. That's the, that's the generic term that's, right. that's thrown about carelessly. Um, and that this chemical imbalance that's genetic throws you into depression. Now, boy, there's, there's a lot to unpack there because, first of all, how does brain tissue create thought? Right. Now, it, it doesn't. You have what's called a mind, and it's different than the brain. And the best way to explain that relationship is software to hardware. If you have a computer, the hardware is the computer itself. That's the hardware, the motherboard. That's the stuff you can see and feel and touch, the keyboard. All of that is the hardware. That's your brain. Your brain is the hardware of the human body. But the software is the mind. The software is, is the intelligence of the computer. If you have a computer and it has no software, it's a boat anchor. Right. Right? It, it has, it's absolutely can't do anything. Yeah. Well, take the mind out of a human being, its ability to think, and suddenly you have a brain that's dead. We call that brain dead. We call yeah. that dead. That's what, that's what it is. So a human without a mind isn't a human. It's dead. Yeah. It's literally not living. So the thing that makes us alive is our ability to think and experience, and that is the mind. So our ability to think is where depression lies. Nobody disagrees with that. They say, that's yeah, right. it's, it's my beliefs. It's how, how I think about something. How I think about a situation, and you described it perfectly, and that is that you feel a situation is, in some cases, hopeless or has only one option that is dissatisfactory, um, and you struggle with the the lack of options and the ability, you feel like you have an inability to problem solve a situation yes. that is really fucking bothering you. Sorry about the F-bomb. So, um, so it's... Uh, it's the way you see the world through your mind's eye. Yes. And, and so depression isn't something you catch or it isn't some biochemical thing. Now. That just happens to you. Right. Like I have depression like you were born with it. Okay. Right. Um, now, 
It's not to say that the brain chemicals don't change. The brain is constantly changing, but it's changing based on the directions being given to it by the mind and then yes. your environment and experiences. So it's a two-way road. With Imagine that the brain is sitting directly in between your experiences and uh, the world we live in. It sort of is the processor between the two worlds, between the metaphysical mind and the physical world we live in. So if you want to pick up a cup of coffee, you have to think in your mind first, I want that cup of coffee. Then your arm can reach out and grab it, and then you can experience the sensations of it going down your throat and the, the warm sensations in your mouth or whatever it might be, the taste, right? So then you experience, ah, I have my cup of coffee. So it goes from mind to brain, brain to environment, grab the cup of coffee, back to the mind, and you experience that picking up the coffee and drinking it. Now, that's a very simplistic thing, but that's the relationship between the mind and the brain. So, when we have experiences or desires or we practice a habit, even one that's depressing, um, the brain reacts to that. It reacts by creating chemicals that record, oh, this person wants to be depressed or is dedicated to being unhappy. Um, now, these are hard terms for people to come to grips with. When I say things like this in class, they say, well, it's not like I want to be unhappy. And I agree. Absolutely. A, a lot of times we're not aware of the habits that we have created, but it doesn't change the fact that we created them. That's right. It just means we're not aware of the fact that we are creating this misery in our lives because we're not consciously aware or we don't spend the time to analyze it. Right. We just keep repeating the same thoughts seeing things the same way, getting the same miserable result, and we keep reliving that experience, then your brain adapts to that because it, it adapts to every single thought you've ever had. And, and then uh, it becomes very easy to live that sort of lifestyle. Um, and, and those thoughts that are repeated, um, the brain tissue has adapted well to that. So it, it becomes a very easy habit to have. Now, it's important to understand that I have been depressed enough to put a gun in my mouth. Um, I've had two suicide attempts in my life when I was a young man, um, and those were very, very dark times. So when I'm saying that depression is something you choose and you habitually create, I'm not saying that in some whimsical way to say, oh, God, you know, you're These depressed. These damn depressed yeah, people are yeah, so depressing. <laughs> yeah, or, or, geez, just choose not to be depressed. Yeah, we're not yeah, saying that. You know. And, I, and I've had, I, I, I had a bipolar diagnosis years ago, and, and I've struggled. I've struggled over the years, and even as recently as a few years ago, with bouts of being really, feeling really awful. And and I and I I don't even like the term depressed, um. But but you know I think I think what happens is I think people because there's so much you, you're bombarded every day with these advertisements for happy pills. Yeah. Basically the SSRIs that are all out there and and the way the commercials are set up it's like, do you feel sad? Like and they and it's set up to almost catch everyone. Yeah. You know, and because the truth of the matter is, what, what happens is you start thinking, is what I'm going through normal? Or then you start thinking, or is what I'm going through what they're talking about? 
you know, that it's that maybe there's something going on in my brain that I can't control. Yeah, that, that's the dangerous place. Yes. Because it's factually incorrect. Yes. It's factually incorrect. Look, at, I, I don't. I don't propose to know every single person's brain's case, right? No, I, I, not. I'm not sitting here saying that I can tell you exactly what biochemically is happening inside of you as an individual, but I can tell you this. If you think you have only a few options in life and you feel powerless to make changes in your life because that's your belief system, because yes. that's what you believe, you will be unhappy and it will get bad because the less control you feel you have in your life and your lifestyle, the, the less happiness that can be gleaned out of that life. That's just the way the world works, you know? And biochemically, your body and your, your brain tissue, um, your body tissues, they all react to the instructions being given to it by your moods, your beliefs, and how you see the world. Um, so... So we, we know that because we know how powerful the mind is. I mean, if you think erotic thoughts, if you're a guy, you'll get an erection, right? The girl's not there. It's just a thought, right? It's desire, and then the body reacts. The brain doesn't know the difference between a woman being in front of you and you imagining it because it's, it's the same thing to the brain, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so the brain is a slave. So we got to get away from this idea that if we change brain tissue biochemically, that it's going to somehow change the way you think. Now, it can change processing speed. It can confuse the motherboard. It can gum it up. It can just imagine that the motherboard is slowed down. Um, and it makes it so that you have no highs, no lows. We get that. It limits the processing power. But it doesn't change the fact that you have thoughts and beliefs. So here's what happens is you get the illusion that your depression is gone when in reality you're just smoothed out. You're not high, you're not low, you're not anything. You're just struggling to process. So, and that is a placebo effect. It's not a direct impact on your beliefs. So let me, let me clarify this. We're not saying that if you're seeing a mental health professional, you should stop. No. Nope. Not saying that at all. Maybe you should question it. If you've been seeing a mental health professional for a long period of time, you've been on different medications, you I mean, a long period of time could be a couple years, maybe, you've, maybe you're on like three or four meds now, and it's not working, then maybe it's time to get a second opinion. Yeah. To seek out a cognitive behavioral therapist, or maybe start doing some research yourself. Yeah. You know, and being proactive, because that in and of itself will help you to feel better. Yeah. Uh, read The Cult of Pharmacology, um, One Nation Under Therapy. Uh, the freedom model if you have a drinking problem associated with your with your depression there's chapters that address this uh, learned connections is one chapter that you definitely should read and there are a ton not a ton but a lot of mental health professionals a lot of psychologists and researchers who have been talking about this for many years what you need to understand is mental health medicine is inexact I mean, the way people think is very autonomous, so it's almost impossible to study it for real. Yeah, um, but you can talk about your beliefs about certain situations yes. and then come up with alternative solutions to problems you don't think you can fix. And sometimes we know that just 
the, the, the idea of being a depressed person becomes your identity. Yes, it does. And, and then it takes on a life of its own because you, you think that that is your identity, that you actually are a depressive. Um, when in reality, what you are is a person that has, feels you have very limited options in problem-solving situations in human living. You yeah. Know? And, and that can be painful, really deeply uh, disturbing and painful. So um, I'm not downplaying the results of this kind of lifestyle, but I, I just want you to know that you have ultimate control over it. You do, and you're the only one that can fix it. And that's why I, whenever anybody calls me and I'm talking to someone, I'm like, you need to, to find a cognitive behavioral therapist. Now, that's been thrown around a whole lot lately, and there are a whole lot of... If somebody has in their repertoire psychotherapy and then they put cognitive behavioral therapy, avoid them. Um, yeah, they're trying to be all things to all, all people. things to all people. You really want somebody... The, the purpose of cognitive behavioral therapy is to show you that you have ultimate control over your thoughts and your behaviors. That's right. Period. And that, that you're, the, you're the master, you're the driver of that ship, which is you. Um, and, and that ultimately, the only way to fix, like, I'll say to someone, they'll be like, oh, I just got put on Zoloft. And, and I'll say, okay, I'm not saying that that's a horrible thing. You might get a little bump. You might feel a little good for a little while. That's the placebo effect because you believe you want it to work. You believe it's going to work. When that happens, get off your ass and go for a walk. Yeah. Go out with friends. Change your perspective on something. Change your perspective on something. Figure out something that you want to try that you've never tried before. Do something that's out of your ordinary. Yep. And and see where that takes you. Because ultimately, the best thing an antidepressant can do is be a bridge to help you to get moving. Yeah, it's like Suboxone with heroin. Yes. You, you know, you, you get on Suboxone so that you don't have to deal with withdrawal. It might uh, let you try some new things, get away from the street and doing heroin and get you away from fentanyl. and the Yeah, and, get, and help but, you to jumpstart your life in a different direction. But it's not a long-term solution because no. a drug can't change your desire for heroin. Right. Another drug isn't going to stop you from desiring the high that you like. It's just going to stop you from feeling withdrawal, which is only one tiny piece of why people love heroin so much. Well, in the same way, look at the, the, the drugs might give you that placebo. It's called an active placebo. A lot of people will feel the side effects of anti-depression medication and think that it's working. Yeah. And, and that there's something magical happening there. Um, and I'm not being... Which is good. Yeah, yeah. Look, because you could use it. Jump on it. Yeah. Don't wait to keep feeling better and better and better because it doesn't work that way. Exactly. Make sure that you, you start changing your beliefs about yourself and about the world. If you're, if you're thinking of yourself as a depressive, as a depressed person, um, then that's become your identity and you need to let that go. Um, it's, it's no a, different than having the addict identity. That's right. That's right. When you label me, you negate me. In other words, when you make a label, you put yourself in a very tight box and it says, this is who I am. You're not, you're a lot more than your depressed thoughts. You're a person that lives in a house or has a home or has a wife, a kids or a job, or maybe you're struggling with all of those things, but that is you, right? You're trying in this world. So there's a lot more that makes up you. Um, 
And the fact that you are sad and feeling hopeless maybe and, and having these feelings does not mean that that's who you are. No. It just means you're in a temporary spot in your life. And maybe this has gone on for decades too. Some, mm-hmm. In my case, I grew up utterly depressed from age seven straight till 19. I, I was absolutely, totally depressed. And, um, but it's because I believe the world was a harsh place because in my situation it was at that time. But and I, you're, when you're that young, you certainly are a lot more, less powerful. You're, yeah. You know, I'm still at the whim of being a victim of the things around me for yeah. real. Um, but once I realized that I could make some differences in my life and I could leave my hometown and I could make that step, that leap, a lot of that depression just went away because I was just too busy doing other shit. You know, I was too busy thinking about other things and expanding my world. So, and problem solving. Yeah. Right? Coming up with solutions. Sometimes, and I want to I want to end with this is We're not ending yet. Okay. I have more to say. All right. <laughs> um, sometimes being depressed is purely a habit. I know people who have wonderful lives and yet have been suicidal yes they have everything they have money they have good relationships and they've come to me and they said I don't know why I feel so sad and then we backtrack a little bit we find out that in college they had a period of disillusionment right where life all of a sudden got really really hard for a period of time then they held on to that they held on to that four-year period that was really difficult maybe they had a great childhood Right, And then they hit college age and they realize they don't know what the hell they're doing. They're scared to death. Mm-hmm. They're nervous. They're insecure for the first time. And they get really depressed and they start drinking in college heavily. And now they're 35, 39, 40, drinking themselves to death. And they believe they're depressive because they never stopped long enough to go back and say, wait a minute. My, my disillusionment period was valid, it was mm-hmm. hard, but I could have let go of that. I could have stopped thinking of myself as a depressive. I could have said, you know what? My life is still pretty darn good and I can make other choices. And every time I'm bored or sad, I don't have to frame it as I'm depressed. Right, right, that, that's what it amounts to. Is uh, There's a couple things that I do with the people that I work with and one I, I, if they if they tell me my reason for using is an escape from my depression, from my loneliness, from all those feelings that I'm that I'm stuck in this life that I can't stand, um, then I I have them do a couple things. And one is, how do you how do you talk to yourself in your own brain? Yeah. What how do you think of yourself? What is your identity? So write that all down, and and. One of the things that's a common theme is they think that somehow their situation, their depression, is not that nobody else goes through this. It's not the same as what everybody else goes through. And and so so then I ask them, can you allow for the possibility that every single person you know has days where they feel the same way you do right now? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because they do. Yeah. I, I genuinely think that everybody... That once you go, like, God forbid you go to rehab for addiction or whatever, or you go to a therapist and they diagnose you because then you genuinely believe, 
Not everybody goes through the sadness like I yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, that you're in that small little group of broken people with a broken yes. psyche. Uh, yeah, that's, and then it's 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 bullshit. It is bullshit. It is. You're that's you, there's no if look at if there was clinical depression, don't you think there'd be a test for it? Yeah, a blood I, test. A blood test. Simple. If there's if there's a chemical imbalance, test me. For God's sakes, test me and give me the medication to fix it. Yeah. But they can't. They can't because it doesn't exist. They have not been able to prove it. And you can ask anybody in the research circles. You can you can go to the scientists at the at the pharmacy uh, companies and the pharmaceutical companies and say, "Show me the test." It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Now I'm not saying that there's not brain changes again, but that's based on your thoughts. Your thoughts drive brain tissue change. Your experiences drive. Your behaviors. Yeah. So those are the causes. The causes are your beliefs. So if you believe you're depressed, if you believe you're a depressive, you will continue to be exactly just that. So choose your thoughts carefully. Now, some people say, but I'm, I'm powerless over my thoughts. Really? You're powerless over your thoughts? You're not creating your thoughts? And you're not the right. one in charge? Then who is? Who is? That's right. Who's making your thoughts, the origin of thought in your mind, who's making that happen if it isn't you? Is it the depressive gene? Oh wait, there isn't one. Is it the uh, chemicals in your brain? No, because the chemicals in your brain are run by your thoughts. In other words, they react to your thoughts and your experiences. Even alcohol. People will point to alcohol and they say, that's depressive. All that means is it slows shit down. Right. That's it. It doesn't mean it makes you feel sad. Right. Right. And because there have been times, like I can remember years ago, I would if I would get particularly drunk, um, you know, a long time ago, I would be sad and cry. But then there would be other nights I'd be partying. Well, you can't you can't say that it's a depressive, and then on the on the flip side, when you're depressed, say it's my solution. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, come on, come on! It makes me happier it because ma- it's, it relieves my depression, and it's a depressive. And it's a depressive. And uh, depressive. sometimes depressive. I like if I drink bourbon, I cry really hard. If I if I drink whiskey, I just bust shit up in the house. And then if I drink wine, I'm giddy and happy. It doesn't work that way right, because it's all the same molecule. It's all the same shit. It all breaks down into acetaldehyde. It's all the same. It's all the same thing. So so it's. All of this stuff we're talking about is, I know it flies in the face of what you're told, but our society builds these ideas and, and they simplify things in the wrong direction. Yes. They, they say, you're depressed, you're a depressive. Um, and because they want it to be neat and tidy. They Look at it, it'd be so great if mental health problems like these, behavioral problems, mental health problems, if there was something we could point to, we'd run a test, would they say, oh, you have this, and then we give you this medication, and just like it would for you know any other disease that you might, real disease that you might have. Yeah, because other diseases have pathology. Exactly. You, there's measurable things. Yeah, but with this, there isn't. They've led you to believe that there is. Yeah, because they throw it out there. But I'm telling you, research it and look for the evidence. Look for the evidence. We've done that. Um, <clears throat> so so if you look at depression as very similar to a substance use problem, it's very similar in that like when people identify themselves as addicted, then they behave in those ways, right? Yeah. So when you identify yourself as a depressed person or depressive, 
you will literally create that and behave in those ways. It's habitual thinking. And just like just like an addiction where you get comfortable drinking every single night, drinking yourself into oblivion, you may hate it, you may say you hate it, but there's comfort in the known. The same thing happens when you're depressed. Like if you spend a long enough period of time thinking those negative thoughts, feeling those negative feelings, but continuing on in your life in that way. You said, Mark said to me at one point um, that a rut was a, was a, a, a grave. grave with the ends kicked out. And I've never forgotten. I mean, it was years ago. And I've never forgotten it because that's what it feels like. Yeah. Is you're just stuck. You know, you're stuck in this rut. You're laying down in this grave waiting to die. You're just subsisting every day. Well, there's a certain comfort in that. Well, I want to talk about Can I talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, there's an attractiveness yep. in depression. Yes. There's an attractiveness, and that is that it's an, I call it insulative. It, 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 yes. It's an insulation from life because what it does is it makes you stand still and if you stand still, not literally stand still, but in some cases that too becomes immobile, but you're mentally immobile. You you stop thinking exciting thoughts. Yeah. You stop thinking outside that grave, that kicked out grave, outside the box, right? You stop doing all that. And you, you focus on one problem and you make sure that there's no solution to it. And you focus on the fact that there doesn't seem to be a solution to it so that uh, you don't have to go out and live the risk of life. Right. And sometimes we get the shit beat out of us in life um, or we're disillusioned like I described earlier. And then we say, you know what? I just don't want to deal with that again. And so we get into a depressed state and we become very dedicated to that. And, And it's attractive because there's no risk. Now, the only risk is that you've got to be willing to live in a grave with the ends kicked out. You know, you got to live in a dark place um, and think that way over and over repetitiously. See, your mind is a, is, a, is a perpetual motion machine mentally. It never shuts off. So you're going to think about something all the time. Yep. The question is, where do you focus that? You can focus it on repetitious negative thoughts or you can focus it on repetitious positive thoughts. And um, that's the difference between being happy and depressed. Um, so there are solutions to every problem. The question is whether you're willing to uh, find them, seek them out, try new things, or just get out of your comfort zone and give it a give it a whirl. Um, the other thing, the last thing is, drinking and drugging doesn't relieve depression. Never has, never will. It Nor does it cause it. Nor does it cause it, that's right. There is no causes. The only cause of any of this is you reasoning out the benefits of depression, that you found some way that you see it as valuable to you, whether it's to isolate you and insulate you from the the risks of life, or maybe it's just because it's easier or seemingly easier to be depressed than to challenge yourself and go out there and try and find solutions to a problem. So, um, yeah. So if you're, you're wondering about where we, you know, obviously we're not psychologists here and, and you know, I have studied it extensively, so is Mark um, and Stephen. Uh, but if you're wondering, here's some, some resources. I, uh, if you're really struggling with life in general and with gaining control of your thoughts and the, your, the way you think about the world around you and yourself and how you fit into it, 
I highly recommend Man's Search for Meaning, Meaning by Dr. Viktor Frankl. Um, it's a quick read uh, and it, it will really give you a good basis for mental autonomy yeah. and how much control you really do have in your own mind. Yeah, it's the best book on the topic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you want to read about different approaches to depression, you can get anything by Martin Seligman. He's the father of positive psychology. He was the one who said, hey, how about we start studying happy people to figure out how we can make depressed people happier? <laughs> I mean, it, it's the same thing we came up with, with how about we study all of these millions and millions of people who figured out how to fix their addictions yeah. um, instead of studying the people who continue to struggle. Because, um, you know, if you want to find a solution, you'll find somebody who's done it. <laughs> um, and also, uh, William Glasser talked about choice theory many, many years ago, like 50 years ago, he started talking about it. Um, and there are a lot of other authors um, and researchers who who really don't, have never bought into the idea um, that there is this chemical imbalance that makes you depressed. The last thing I want you to do is look up on YouTube um, Dr. Joe Dispenza, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. It's about, uh, you could get the quickie, which is like a 12 to 15 minute video. And uh, it's great. I highly recommend it. I show it to all my students here. Um, he's, he's really, really wonderful. So, all right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Hold on. I got to read my spiel. Um, if you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or another habitual behavior, or you want help breaking free and moving past recovery as well, you can reach us. You can always reach Mark and I here at 888-424-2626, or you can go to our website at thefreedommodel.org and also soberforever.net. Sober Forever provides detailed information about our residential retreat, which is the St. Jude Retreat. I want you to know that we're open through Christmas and New Year's. And if you're listening to this and you've thought, you know, I really want to be able to go there. I don't have any place to be for Christmas. I don't want to be alone. Um, come and join us for the next few weeks. We are happy to spend Christmas and New Year's with you. And uh, what a better way to spend your holiday than getting your life together so that you can it's start. the best to... gift you could give your family. Absolutely. Absolutely. The freedommodel.org is our hub and has a ton of free resources and information, including videos, these podcasts, free ebooks, and information about our at-home private instruction program. You can get digital editions of our books, The Freedom Model for Addiction and The Freedom Model for the Family, at, uh, at that website, thefreedommodel.org. Enter coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout to get out those books for free. You can get paperback and Kindle versions on Amazon or one of the other online retailers. If you have questions and you want to reach us, as I said, call us at 888-424-2626 or email us at info at thefreedommodel.org. From everyone here at The Freedom Model, we wish you well. Until next time. And, oh. and if you need detox, <laughs> if you need detox because there are people out there that are struggling with withdrawal, with uh, benzodiazepines, alcohol, uh, heroin, and if you want to get off of Suboxone or Methadone, oh, they, yeah. they work with with people that are ready to move on in that direction as well. You, you'll want to call Gallus Detox. That's G-A-L-L-U-S Detox.com. Wonderful people. Really great, great detox. And they have one in Denver and one in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, and they're going to be expanding to more locations as well. But for now, that's where they are and they're awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.